Man, are you guys there? All right. Open, uh, if you have a Bible, open it to John chapter 5. This is the passage we ended on last week. Let me just read this for you this week. It says, you study the scriptures diligently. This is Jesus talking. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, we started this series last week called Metamorphic. And what we believe with that word is that Scripture has the power with the Spirit to actually transform our lives. Like if we actually immerse ourselves in Scripture and learn it and learn how to read it right and learn how what it's for and what it's not for, if we do that well as a community, it will change us from the inside out. It will fundamentally transform your life. And, and so we just thought, you know, it would be great this fall to kind of, kind of come around Scripture again together in a fresh new way and ask some really important questions. Last week, we asked the question, what is the Bible? No, sorry, that's this week. Last week, we asked, why the Bible? And the reason why we asked that question last week is because there's a lot of us that have different backgrounds, uh, different skepticisms uh, about the Bible, and how do, how do we look at this right? And the, the, the main answer we came away with last week of why the Bible is really the short answer is because we're followers of Jesus. And Jesus had this view of the Bible that was pretty big. In fact, he memorized the Old Testament. I mean, he was just obsessed with Scripture, and it, and it informed everything in his life and in his ministry. And if we're to be followers of Jesus, that's, that should happen to us. And so we talked about how we believe the Bible because we believe Jesus. We don't believe Jesus because we believe the Bible. See the difference in that? And so this week, I want to ask the question, what is the Bible? And, and I, think, I think it's really important that we answer this well, because if we don't, um, chances are it, you, could, you could end up making the Bible something it's not. And remember last week how we talked about how in, in, throughout history, the Bible has both been, uh, this is a Mark Twain quote, the Bible is both the poison and the cure. That it's been used from some horrific stuff. And yet at the same time, it's also been that thing, that, that voice that has brought the cure to so many things throughout history. So if we don't get this right, what the Bible is, chances are we could make it something it's not. So the first thing it's not is it's not an encyclopedia of truth, meaning sometimes you could pick up the Bible and, and you could look at it and read it in a certain way that you're just finding nuggets of truth to inform something in your life or, or some need you have or some itch you have in your life to make it all better. Or you might be looking in the Bible as an encyclopedia of truth to kind of have some sort of ammunition towards somebody else in your life or somebody in this world. That's not what it is. We don't data mine the Bible for rules or little inspirational nuggets. It's not an allegory about you and God. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 is that famous coffee cup verse that everybody loves. Look it up sometime if you'd like. It's like the graduation verse, right? It's like the, the, the high school graduation verse. And oh, God's got plans for me. 
Well, if you read it in context, it has nothing to do with you graduating from high school <laughs> or getting a new job. It has nothing to do with that. And yet, for some reason, we read the Bible like it's some sort of an allegory relationship with me and God. And where do I find God and me on the pages? It's not that. And, I mean, it's not like your CU, you know, Bible as lit class teacher would say. It's a, it's a book of ancient literature, you know. And, and, and if you want to, you know, it's nothing really, you know, divine. It's just, I mean, if you want to learn what... Uh, Jewish men thought about God, then knock, knock yourself out. I mean, that's also not the angle we're going today. Is it something else? So the working definition we're going to roll with today is going to hopefully be up on the screen. The Bible is a library of writings that are both human and divine, divine and human, that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. Okay? I'm going to read it again. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this phrase, okay, a little bit this morning. And I know this feels a little bit like a TED Talk, and I don't, I don't want it to feel like a TED Talk, okay? But, but I, what we want out of this series, what we really hope that happens is, is your love and affection for and desire to partake in the Bible, the needle moves in your life, okay? We want, we want for some of you that have just kind of like, I don't know how to read this thing, and you chucked it aside to, to go, you know, I'm gonna give it another shot. Some of you don't believe there's all these contradictions in it. You, you might read it from a new perspective. Some of you don't like reading, that maybe you could find an audio recording of the Bible and give that some time, right? Like, whatever we can do to, to move the needle in your life is what we want to do. So let's start with the phrase, okay? The Bible is a library. Now, this is super important because a lot of people, they'll pick up the Bible and they'll just read every single book in the Bible the same way. And it's not the same thing, okay? So for instance, when you go to a library, okay, you go to a library and there's just different sections, there's, there's different genres all over the place. That's what this is. It's a collection of books. It's actually a collection of scrolls that actually were, came together. And then there's the codex, and then there's the printing press. You remember Gutenberg and his printing press? And now you can slam a Bible in your little man bag or whatever you carry around, and, and you've got it. At, at your, it's on your phone now. I mean, it's all these things. But before, it was a collection of all these different scrolls, and you didn't have your own copy. You would have to go somewhere to hear the reading of Scripture. Okay? And so, and what we have, and even the word the Bible, the Bible isn't even a biblical word. It's a, never, we'll go, we won't get into that. So what we have is this collection of books, a whole bunch of different writings and a whole bunch of different genres. We've got historical and prophetic, and we have poetry and, and literature and, and narrative and story, and we have genealogical records. Super exciting stuff. And actually, when you get into it, it is pretty exciting stuff, but we sometimes you pass over that, you know? There's so much to it, and we have to read it right. The problem is that all of us have grown up with this idea that we have to read Scripture literally. 
And, and what I want to encourage you to do is start to read Scripture literarily. Meaning that in all these different pieces of the Bible, there, there's different things that, uh, that mean different things. So there's metaphors and there's word pictures and there's Hebrew images and all these different things all over. Now, there's some things that are very literal, right? Don't murder. That's pretty literal. Like, oh, what does God mean by that? Like, no, <laughs> just don't kill people. Um, <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. But there's other places, okay, there's other places that are important for us to understand that that's not literal. For instance, in the book of Isaiah, there's this passage, and, and they made a song out of this back in, like, Christian school days when I was in Christian school. It's, it's the trees of the field will clap their hands. Have you ever seen this passage in Isaiah? The, the trees of the field will clap their hands. okay that's probably not literally going to happen. Like it's some Lord of the Rings, you know, big monster treat. No, that's not. Dan probably thinks it's still going to happen, but I don't, I, I, I know you do. Yeah, I figured you would. But like this idea that this is this beautiful metaphor that, that Isaiah, like it's this, this Hebrew imagery of just saying all of creation is going to praise God. It's just beautiful. And so we have to read the Bible right, and, and, it's, and it's hard to do that. And so, and I understand that you're probably overwhelmed by that, but there's so many metaphors and word pictures, and, and we have to wrestle with those things. The second phrase I want to talk about is that it's a library of writings that are both divine and human. Now, for some of you, that might freak you out a little bit, that human part. We'll get to that in a second. But these are, these, are, these are divine writings. There's something to these books that have like a, like a touch of the divine, like, a, like they're woven in here, that God has just woven himself through it. Jesus says that Scripture cannot be broken, that there's this, this wo woven characteristic of God all through it, that God is behind each word and each phrase. 2 Timothy 3 this is Paul writing to Timothy. He's just trying to encourage Timothy um, as Timothy sets out to lead a local congregation and to do some things. He says this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those, those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this is the famous passage. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word, theopneustos, is this word that we get the word inspired, that, that the Bible is inspired. It, it's it's uh, N.T. Wright says this in, in one of his conversations about Scripture. He says, inspiration, that word inspired, inspiration is the shorthand way of talking about the belief that by his spirit, God guided the very writers and editors so that the books they produced were the books God intended the people to have. So that, that word, inspires, literally in the translation we read is actually right. Literally, it's God, that God breathed out uh, these things. And, and Second Peter, that this, is, this is more helpful. This is actually even more helpful. Above all, he says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. This is really important. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through, though human, spoke from God as, the, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this idea that, that, that all this stuff is just beautiful, that God has just worked through human authors and editors to give his story, to reveal himself to us through language in all these contexts. So scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed by the Holy Spirit. It's carried, these writers are carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so when you read this library, okay, this collection of books, you are reading the words of God. Wow. I mean, that, like, I hope that like, like reinvigorates what you're doing with this book when you read it. And let that sink in, like the kind of the gravity of that. Because that's a, that's a really big deal. Now, here's the thing. They're divine and human. You're like, where's he going with this one? Well, they're also the words of Moses and David and Peter and Mark. Now, now some of you, like our last series we did, uh, two series before, actually, we did a series on Exodus chapter 34. Remember those two verses. And the story behind that was Moses going up on the mountainside, and, and he has this moment with God, this encounter in God. And, and I can imagine that Moses did not go up there and make this up. Like, if you read the story, it's not something that I think Moses would have made up about who God is. Right? So on the one hand, I don't believe these are made-up things. And I don't imagine that Moses was also in some sort of a trance up there, just like riding, like, okay, God, you know, it's like his eyes are rolled back in his head, and he's just like, oh, and then God takes him over. Some of us have this idea that that's how it went down. That's not how it went down, okay? It's never been um, an ancient or orthodox view of that at all. So, but, but different than, than the Quran or the Book of Mormon, which those two books are actually said to have taken place like that. Okay? Um, this is much different. This is human personality that God works through free, relational, intelligent human beings, and he doesn't erase their intellect. He doesn't erase their personality. He doesn't erase their style or their stage of life. I mean, think about it. Paul, this guy is brilliant. He's a genius. He's super intellectual. He knows Jewish law, and he knows, he knows uh, the Roman system, legal system. He knows so much stuff. And yet he's kind of a butt. I mean, a little bit, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you read Paul, you're just like, what is his deal? Like, there's something with him that's like, I just can't believe I called Paul a butt. <laughs> like, I did that. So, yeah, big butts of the Bible. That's right. And then there's Ezekiel. If you've ever read Ezekiel, this prophet had the most wild imagination. And then you just flip over to Mark. And Mark is the gospel writer that's just pretty much to the point. Like, he doesn't even deal with the birth of Jesus. He's just like, fast forward, that's boring. Fast forward. And then if you ever read the end of Mark, you're like, really, dude? That's your end? Like, seriously, read the end of Mark. You'll be like, that's it? That's how you're wrapping this up? <laughs> like, yeah, that's Mark. And then Luke. Luke is this meticulous 
like leave no stone unturned gospel writer that just goes and just investigates. I mean, if, if, if this was written in a trance, this whole book, I mean, why are there so many just beautiful personalities and, and perspectives and genres and all this different stuff? I mean, there's ample room for personality. It's a beautiful thing. For instance, 1 Corinthians. I'm gonna show you a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians um, on the screen that are, that are pretty interesting. So 1 Corinthians chapter one, we got that, cool. Paul, he, he, he throws himself out there. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. And so Paul, he's just introducing himself. It's just me, it's Paul. This is who I am. This is Sosthenes. Uh, this is what we're called to do. Then I love this, verse 16. This is hilarious. Now, if you think that this is like all a big trance thing, check this out. He goes, yes, I also baptized the household of Steph- Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> like, I love that, right? Like, I don't, like, and you know there's someone who gets a letter like, dude, you baptized me, don't you? <laughs> like, like, he's just a dude, Right? Um, I love that. And then check out chapter 7, verse 10. I love this. It says, to the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. (laughs) Like, what is that? Like, it's not from me. This one's from God, just so you know. Um, And then then there's another, next verse is uh, chapter, it's just uh, like a paragraph later. Two verses later, check this out. To the rest, I say this. I, not the Lord. Like, so, so he's just like, no, this is what God says, but this is kind of my little thing, you know? So I'm just going to throw that at you. It's like a total human thing, right? And then finally at the end, he, he says this. This is from God. He says, if anyone thinks they are prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. You know, so there's this human and this divine thing that's happening, it's, it's not like something Paul swept under the rug, you know? He's not trying to be holier than anybody else. He's just, he's just laying it out there. This is what God's saying. This is kind of, this is kind of me, <laughs> you know? He's just throwing it to the people. Do you see the tension here? And so the problem is that many of us live in the wake of this conservative, liberal Bible war, okay, that's happened and, and that on the conservative side, people are like, it's God-breathed, it's, it's, it's you know, and, and I, agree, I agree, it's God-breathed and inspired and it's beautiful and it's big and it's all that stuff. And, 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 but, but there's no room for the human. There's no room for the, the messy. And then on this side, uh, the, the, the liberal side is just like, eh, it's just literature, it's just a bunch of humans, there's a lot of errors. And there's this war, okay, that has happened over the years. And so I'm here to tell you it's not either or, it's both and. It's both human and divine together in one place. And the best model I can give you is actually how we look at Jesus. So how we look at Jesus, how we know Jesus to be, and what scriptures tell us Jesus, who Jesus is, is that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And, it, and, and meets in the person of Jesus, I mean, it's just like this beautiful thing that happens at the same time. And, and for some of that's a really hard thing to get our heads around. Um, Jesus isn't God in, like, fully God in a body. You know, he's just not God in a body. Like, uh, and it's not that Jesus is like this unbelievable human with a, with a spark of the divine. 
you know, either. It's this, this beautiful picture of God becoming fully human and dwelling among us. It's incarnation. And so the source of the spirit that, in, that writes all of this it is involved, okay, but it's also from John, it's also from Paul, it's also from Jeremiah, and we hold these two things in tension. Okay. Now, otherwise, we get the view that many people, and, and some of you may have fallen into this as well, this is a normal, natural thing, is to fall into this idea that the Bible is like this golden tablets view. Okay, The golden tablets view, which, which um, is kind of a Mormon thing. I'm just going to throw that out there. But it's like it was just dropped from heaven to earth. And... Um, and what happens with this view of the Bible is that if you go to Bible is lit class, you might learn all this stuff growing up and go to high school and yeah, the Bible, golden tablets, this whole idea. And then you go to college and then you get Bible as lit class and it just wrecks you because you have this certain view of how the Bible is and, and how it's supposed to be. And your professor asks you, well, what about this? What about that? And you're just like, uh, I don't know. And then you start to get a little wonky in your faith. And you think, oh, man, maybe the Bible isn't. No, the problem is it's not the Bible. It's how you've read the Bible. And so check this out. Uh, Psalm 148. I want to just give you a little idea of what I'm talking about. This is, this is a beautiful picture of ancient cosmology. Listen to this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all of his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, you waters above the skies. You ever read that before? Has it ever messed with you a little bit? Like there's water up there above the skies? Now, the reason why I bring this up is because in, if, if this was a golden tablets thing dropped to earth, okay, you would have think that God would have figured out science by now before he dropped the tablets to earth, right? And so I'm gonna show you something on the screen. This is actually a picture, if some of you can see this, of the Hebrew idea of cosmology. I mean, this is actually Babylonian, Egyptian, and ancient Hebrew, what they thought about when they thought about the world, all right? Um, and, and this is online. I'm just, I didn't draw this or anything, okay? So you can see they thought the world was flat. Remember that Columbus thing? All right, so the, the world's flat, and above them is this huge, huge deal. And above, above the sky, above the clouds is water because it's blue, right? I mean, of course. I mean, we know this. I mean, you just thought it was Jedi up there, but it's, it's water. And then there's the Sheol and the great deep. Okay, so when you're an ancient Hebrew, you're a Babylonian, you're an Egyptian, this is your concept of the cosmos, okay? So this is what's written in scripture, so if it was a golden tablet's view of scripture, we're in trouble, right? It just doesn't work itself out. But you know what's beautiful about this? If you buy into an incarnational view of the Bible first, this is exactly what you would expect to see. 
that God is speaking to people with their understanding of how the world looks. And this is beautiful. This is God breathed out and inspired a poem in this ancient uh, Hebrew uh, a poet inspiring all of creation to worship, right? And so, I mean, I just kind of get excited about this stuff. So you guys are like ready for lunch, I can tell. But um, here's the deal. What we learn about God, we learn, we learn about God through Jesus, and, and I believe that, that scripture tells a unified story which leads us to Jesus, okay? So that next piece is that, that all of this, this library, okay, that is human and divine, tells a unified story. Now, I wanna, I wanna encourage you with something. We just have a little pie, pie chart to show you up here. This is about how the Bible is broken up. Narrative is story, okay? That is like, there once was a guy named Moses kind of stuff, okay? Then there's discourse. Discourse would be like teaching, Sermon on the Mount, things like that, okay? And poetry, 33% of the Bible is poetry, imagery, metaphor, all this stuff that's like, sometimes it's easy to understand, sometimes it's hard to understand. So this is the kind of the scripture breakdown of of genre, okay? And, and by far the biggest chunk in scripture is narrative. It's story. It's weird stories. It's like stuff you're just like, what? Like that happened? We talked a little bit about that last week. Um, and it's all embedded in a much larger story. Uh, they call it a meta-narrative. People call it a meta-narrative that, that compiles all these stories together. And so for instance, uh, the Torah it is 613 laws of Moses, and it comes after 60 chapters of story. 60 chapters of story. And so reading the Bible as a story is the best way to deal with actually contradictions in the Bible. Because once you understand where it's all headed, it's easier to kind of figure out what's happening. So, for instance unless you read it as an encyclopedia of truth and you just nitpick a little verse here and a little there and you figure out what you want it to say, um, which is pretty dangerous, actually, to do that way. Um, for instance, Star Wars fans, anybody? Four? Come on, this, this place is like teeming, okay? So, for instance, okay, just gonna make a statement here. Some of you are not gonna like it, but Empire Strikes Back is definitely the best in the canon, of the movies, okay? And so, so here's the deal, okay? And so we're, use, we're gonna use the word canon because it's biblical. Um, so in Empire Strikes Back, okay? Uh, Dagobah system, Yoda, Luke Skywalker. Okay, Yoda says to Luke, you cannot uh, go and face Vader, okay? He says, because you are not ready yet, stay and complete your training. You remember that? He's not ready to go face Vader. He's gotta stay and complete his training. Yet, fast forward to Return of the Jedi, what happens? Yoda says, you must face Vader in order to complete your training, okay? Is that an error? Is this a contradiction? I ask you, Brian. <laughs> is, this, is this an error? Is this a contradiction? Of course it's not an error, right? I mean, because we're reading it as a story. That at one point, Yoda was, I mean, Yoda, Yoda's always ready. Luke wasn't ready. And then he became ready. 
And so what wasn't good for Luke at one point became the right thing at another. Look at the food laws in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, sorry. And then we get to the, how many of you in here eat bacon? Anybody? All right, yes, all right. So obviously, that's okay now, right? I mean, it's, you see what I'm saying? We're reading this as a story, this, this beautiful story that, that all comes together. Listen to Paul in, in, in Galatians chapter three. Um, he says this, it starts off, he says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody over the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You know that word guardian actually means translated in English? Nanny. That it's some, the law was a nanny. And we don't need the nanny anymore. You know, it's this idea like when I was, uh, when our kids were little, uh, you know, I'd tell Keelan, tell Sydney, uh, you know, we don't lie. And here's why we don't lie. And this is what happens when you lie. And this is how it hurts people when you lie. And these are the effects when you lie. Well, guess what? It's still good not to lie when you're a teenager. And it's still good not to lie when you're 40. And it's still good not to lie when you're 80. Right? We cool with that? But when they were literal, we also said, you need to go to bed at 7.30 at night. Well, that would be just straight up weird if you're 40 and you're still going by that one. I mean, some of you still do. I mean, you'd like going to bed at 7.30. I mean, don't, but it's, it just works differently when you're in college, you know, maybe to go to bed at 7.30 at night. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, we have to read this well. We have to, to see where God is moving us and, and, and see all these laws were really important for Israel at the beginning because they, they, were, they were separating themselves and becoming something different um, to show the other nation who God was all about. But in the wake of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we now assimilate into the nations. So Israel was separate from the nations, and now we assimilate into the nations. We are now ambassadors of reconciliation into this world. See how this story flows? and changes, and moves, and shows us how to do this differently. Tim Keller wrote this, the reason for our confusion over the Bible is that we usually read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. It is not this. Rather, it comprises a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God, through Jesus Christ, has come and will come to put things right. And all of this leads to Jesus. This is what's so powerful about Scripture. It all leads to Jesus. See, this is a library of strange new things where virgins give birth and messiahs die and come back from the dead and where the first are last and the last are first and where the most courageous thing is probably not military violence but willing self-sacrifice. Where persecution is a virtue. Jesus is on every throughout every story, whether you read his name or not. 
And uh, there were some other things I was going to get in tangent on here, but I'm decided I'm not doing the time is ticking away. So let me just read John 5 one more time. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. See, here's the thing. One of the worst things that can happen is that you could read this collection of books, this library, and you could become cold and a mean Bible nerd. You can. It's super easy. You can know the Bible and not know Jesus. <laughs> you can actually be nothing like Jesus and know these pages backwards and forwards. You could have Bible trivia down. And that's not what we want. That's not our heart today, okay? The Bible, just to recap, is a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. Some of you have a hard time swallowing that divine part. It's just kind of messy for you. Some of you have a hard time swallowing that human part. You're just like, no, there's no human elements in this. That's <laughs> messy for you. Some of you are just like, why should I even read this in the first place? Or I put this down years ago. And let me just tell you a little bit about my life. I grew up going into a Christian school, and they were well, very well-meeting people at this Christian school. And there was just this idea, this posture of reading the Bible in a way that was like it's an encyclopedia of truth, okay? Um, and as I learned, as I got to college, I, I learned that the Bible just doesn't behave that way. Just doesn't, just doesn't behave that way. And so it was really a crisis of faith waiting to happen for me. And, may, and I've, I've sat with so many people that were taught to read the Bible a certain way, and they, have, they are sitting in currently a crisis of faith. And it was a huge thing. It was answers to questions that the, the Bible was not giving me the, the answers that they didn't work anymore. You know, they were just, they didn't work. And there were seasons in my life um, that I would actually preach a message or teach a sermon to high school kids or whatever, and at the end of it, I'd go, man, did I, did I say anything that was even remotely true? Like, it was just really messing with me. And, um, and just through some people I read and some, some conversations I had, I began to, to really kind of relearn how to read Scripture, how to approach it again. And it changed everything for me. And it's almost like I'm rediscovering the Bible over the last 10 years. Like, oh, wow, like that works now. That, like that fits now. And I'm reading a book right now from a guy that, that he's just like, how do I reconcile the violence in the Old Testament with Jesus? How do I do that? And it's just a messy, messy thing. And, and so like we told you last week, keep reading. Read it. Um, go for it. Dig in wherever you're at. And stay on this journey because when you open the Bible, here's what happens to you. It's an alternative story to the story that you're usually living your life by. It's an alternative narrative to the narratives that you and me pick up in this life. And it's a true story of the world. The twisting of everything that good that's happened, the vandalism of the peace that God's given us, the, the cross as a cosmic rescue operation, that there's life after life after death. 
Yeah, I said that right. There's a new way of seeing the world that we get to step into God's story, that we get to see our place in God's story. And that's what we want for you. And I've gone terribly, horribly long. So I would like to pray. And I would like to leave you with a little bit of this unsettledness when it comes to scripture. Would you retry and read it again? This September, we are going to do something as a community that we're going to announce next week. We're going to do something um, as a community, and we want you to jump in on it. But for now, I just want you to taste it again.